KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Hello and good morning. Now, 083-306-9696 is our Dinners Ready text line if you want to get in on the conversation this morning. As I said, I'll shortly be talking to Deputy John McGuinness, who joins me here in studio. And shortly, I'll be talking to Martin O'Brien of the Mullicone Cafe in St. Mullins, who's going to tell us how his summer is going. And of course, we'll be looking for your assistance, as we always are on a Wednesday morning with uh, Community Assist. We will have Garda... Conor Egan or Sergeant Conor Egan rather I should say in studio looking for your help so Deputy McGuinness welcome to studio Thank you very much I might just bring you in a little bit closer there as I said to you in the break there John it's every politician's dream come on in for a bit of a chit chat about who knows what yeah, soft interviews always get you caught out. You have to be <laughs> <Yes>. very careful. <laughs> exactly. And beware of those who smile. That's what I always, that's my motto in life, John. John, I'm going to start with something, I suppose, breaking news that the Kilkenny people are reporting. The name Lar Power seems to be, who's who's going to be the new CEO of Kilkenny County Council. Do you have any intel for us? Yeah, I've heard that. Um, and I understand the process is that the name must be approved by the council members, I think, this Friday. Uh, and then the individual that was successful through that process uh, will take up position in due course. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, challenges ahead uh, for the county and for uh, a new chief executive. Uh, and I'm sure he'll want to hit the ground uh, running in the context of what's going on in Kilkenny and what needs to go on. Um, and first and foremost in that, I would say, is the uh, university campus. That's a project that's generally driven uh, by the uh, county council. Uh, I would I would like to see um, a, a business study being carried out on the possibilities of a, a normal museum and study centre uh, for Kilkenny. And then there are all of the other uh, issues that you know conf- confront the county in terms of its its development, uh, such as the completion of the ring road, the building of houses, uh, and the usual works then that are carried out by uh, a county council. So, the incoming chief executive will certainly have uh, a, a, a very full inbox uh, with a lot of uh, pressure of time on some of the issues that Without are, are a doubt. contained and therein. W- Sorry to cut across you there, John, but what about the outgoing, the interim, um, Sean McKeown? There'll be a bit of dis- disappointment there, I'm, I'm going to say. I'm sure there's any of them that went for the position. I, I understand that there was a few people from the Kilkenny County Council are already in place. Uh, yes, they'll be disappointed, uh, but, you know, they're, they're there to uh, serve uh, and no doubt the incoming uh, chief executive will make his appointments in due course to the various director of services and so on. Uh, But in local government there's always opportunities there uh, in other counties. There's always a changing uh, of the guard in each and every county uh, from time to time. So uh, generally speaking people involved in local authority management look to those jobs for their um, career uh, advancement. So to the best of your knowledge, this is just a special meeting on Friday and this will be confirmed? Yeah, it's part, of, it's part of the process. Um, so there's an independent selection process uh, followed then by the councillors coming together to give their uh, approval. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, 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 um, it's a significant piece in the whole employment part of it but uh, it's a foregone conclusion that the individual concerned would be selected 
Okay. And I'm sure that they'll use the selection process to emphasise uh, each electoral area and how they want to see it developed and enhanced and so on. Do you know much about him? I believe he's a Wexford man, but has been on with Leitrim County Council. Yeah, he has in Waterford. So it's quite an extensive um, knowledge of local government. And each local authority conducts its own business, but it has the same set of issues that it has to deal with and then it's governed of course by the Department of Local Government Um, the issues are all the same really um, currently because of the fact that there's big issues there like houses, uh, maintenance advancement of the county uh, in terms of its economic profile and how it plays its part uh, in the south east and with the experience that the incoming person has uh, in terms of the south east that would be a bonus because we all have to understand the place of a university, for example, the need for a campus in Kilkenny, the need for the South East uh, to sell itself both at home and abroad for tourism uh, and for economic development. So a lot of the business is 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 being conducted, uh, you know, as we speak. Uh, but what direction he will want to take it in will be a matter for him to set out to the councillors. OK, and I suppose there are more macro issues, if you like. I wonder you're face to face with your constituents on a weekly basis if not a daily basis John what do you think are the main concerns amongst your constituents middle of 2023 what are you hearing well to do with local government for example it is housing um you know i estimate there's probably 2000 plus people that are either on the waiting list or in insecure accommodation uh, that want the security of a local authority house or an agency house and actually, John, the Kilkenny people are also reporting um, that there's been a 25% increase in those on the waiting list in the past month. That's right. Uh, and that, that comes about through new people coming on. It may come about through landlords uh, leaving and forcing the issue with their tenants, landlords leaving the market. So housing is the major issue. Uh, confronting most public representatives and you turn to the likes of Kilkenny County Council for solutions to that so I would like to see the council building more houses directly uh, buying more from developments that are underway uh, and providing direct then accommodation uh, to those that are most in need Uh, and at the same time keeping their current stock of houses uh, up to date in terms of standards and so on So it's important that uh, any incoming chief executive would deal with that issue. Uh, That would be a day-to-day issue every single day, I would imagine. It's first and foremost on their agenda. And I wonder, John, are you in a position to tell us any more? You have your own planning um, at the moment and your own plans, I suppose, for development up around Assumption. Are you in a position to tell us any more about what stage that is at? Uh, Well, there... My son is, is proposing a development there. Uh, it's with Board Planala. Um, and we'll just await the outcome. So nothing further for the moment? No, not, nothing further for the moment. OK. That takes its own process as well. Indeed, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it uh, as it develops. Another major thing I wanted to ask you about this morning, John, was in the Indo yesterday, they were reporting, again, the headlines. We always go to these juicy headlines, but... It read one person got 360,000 in job seekers allowance overpayment. And to be quite honest, the figures were absolutely startling. What they were saying or reporting rather was that there was a hundred and let me just see if my eyes can read this. 
$111.67 million in overpayments in 2022. Does that speak to a systemic problem? Well, from, uh, as you said earlier, a macro position, um, the country is challenged by the way it manages its affairs. Um, it certainly could do a whole lot better in terms of managing taxpayers' money. And I've said this ever since I was first elected. Um, the systems are not in place to spend the money efficiently uh, and to get value for money uh, for the taxpayer. Uh, and the more money you put into the system, the more problems you're going to have because of that. So we need to reform and modernise the system, first of all. But the Comptroller and Auditor General would do his audit each year and would present figures then to the Public Accounts Committee. And in those set of figures, you would have figures like you've just called out, overspend uh, in different departments, or fraud, which is part of the social welfare, uh, I suppose, system in terms of, of... who is getting money, who should not be getting the money. Unfortunately, when all of that investigation happened, it causes look-backs on people. So you'll get those innocent um, people who have nothing to hide or getting paid properly, uh, but for some reason they'll be captured in terms of uh, a look-back on their benefits, and that could cause them uh, to owe money uh, at, at the end of that investigation. But then on the other side, you have the more serious part, which is deliberately defrauding the Department of Social Welfare, uh, trying to uh, of a benefit, uh, which can run up into millions of euros. Uh, one recently where, you know, someone claiming uh, rental allowance and in fact was in England uh, and had sublet a property to nine other people. Uh, and was collecting the rent from them and at the same time getting a rental accommodation scheme. Uh, you get others then on job seekers or they're on some other benefit uh, and when they should cease the benefit, they don't. They continue to draw that benefit. Uh, carers allowance. I mean, we saw the recent case in, in Carlo, uh, a court case where the, the two individuals uh, brought that man to collect uh, a pension. Uh, and they were found guilty and they're being dealt with through the legal process. So there's always an overspend. They try their best to keep it as low as possible. They chase then repayments. So if you're overpaid or if you have defrauded a state, the, the, the department will come after you. But it's it's very hard for me to get my head around the fact that one person got 360000 of an overpayment. I just can't understand how the system would... That's... There's, there's multiple things going on there to get that amount of money in the first place. Yeah, there is. Well, you, you, I mean, you have cases where, uh, you know, a person continues to draw the pension of another person that has died. Uh, and that can run into a significant amount of money as well. And uh, it takes time to track down those. So I would like to see the system being a lot more efficient uh, and dealing with those that defraud a state of money. Uh, more quickly uh, and in a way that discourages uh, any further uh, uh, effort to defraud. Uh, and until such time as we show zero tolerance to the the type of, uh, of fraud that is taking place, um, then you'll continue to have big numbers like that in terms of overpayments. Uh, what would the zero tolerance look like? 
Sorry? What do we need to do to show that zero tolerance that we're not doing? Well, anyone that's found to be defrauding the state of money through the social welfare system should be rigorously pursued through the courts and it should be made quite public uh, in terms of what is found uh, in terms of the amount of money in terms of the methods used to defraud the state. Uh, But that's only one element of it. There are other overpayments that continue on and uh, it's it's not an effort to defraud it's just a matter for that the person hasn't declared fully um, so there's lots of reasons for overpayments in the social welfare system uh, and until such time as their systems are cleaned up and made more efficient you're always going to have that I can never understand how those big figures emerge but then there's always fraudsters out there uh, attempting to uh, you know, structure a situation where they get paid and are not entitled to it, and they're but getting then away on, with it. on the side of the department, then there are inspectors there who will, you know, inspect the the uh, claims by people and who will go after uh, the information to prosecute. So it's it's a battle every day. A battle that I'd say we're losing because. Again, I'm coming back to this figure that's just in my head. I can't get it out that 360,000, that's gone. That's never coming back. It's never coming back into the public domain, It's I'm never assuming. coming back if it is a fraud and if the person can't repay it. If, if, if someone is overpaid, that can come back by way of agreement with the department and they repay it. But that type of figure, 360,000, or indeed any other amount of money, that should not be tolerated by the state. Uh, so there's a need for the state to be far more careful about the manner in which they process claims and the manner in which they investigate over-claimed over, uh, um, benefits uh, or benefits that should not have been claimed in the first place. That takes a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of policing. It does, and I think that's therein is the problem. It's laborious, and as you referenced earlier, people that are genuinely in need of this support are put through the through, through rigours that they shouldn't be. And meanwhile, this amount of money is going where it shouldn't. It's just it's it's complex. But I think it, from those headlines, it needs serious addressing. It's, I would it, say it may be complex, but it's not not something that can't uh, you know be, be stopped. Uh, maybe not totally. It just depends on how serious we are about stopping people from defrauding the state. But it, it just and I believe far more effort needs to go into investigating each of these claims. And there's plenty of technology there That's, now yeah. on both sides, actually. There's technology there that will defraud the state. And then there has to be a better technology that will catch those that are involved in that illegal practice. Um, and you have to do it in a way that's balanced because you don't want to catch those that are innocent victims of all of this uh, and, uh, you know, put them into the same category. There are different categories of, um, I suppose, criminality that need to be looked at and need to be chased down. And the department need more people in there uh, to be able to police these payments. Well, that brings me to my next point, John. Uh, you mentioned there that the money isn't being well spent and Sinead Ryan had an article uh, today, I think, totally agreeing with you, saying that a £25 billion health spend should go a lot further than it does. And one of the things she references in this article is the number of staff we have and how we're not getting bang for our buck and particularly the administrative staff. So what you're suggesting there would be to add to that... And I wonder, is that is that the answer right across the different no, departments? It, dep- it depends on what problems you're dealing with. So if you're dealing with the problem in social welfare, you do need more staff to investigate. That's a fact. However, 
if you're dealing with the HSE and the 25 billion that that uh, writer is referring to, well, then you have value for money. And it's my belief that continuing to put billions into the health services and not demand a standard and not correct the inefficiencies that are there is just adding further problems and creating further waste. So the health services, in terms of the staffing levels, you have poor staffing levels on the front line, and there is a constant complaint or reporting that there is overstaffing from middle management upwards. Uh, And I saw recently where the suggestion is that they would be paid even more. Well, I would like to see you know, a private independent analysis uh, of the HSE to support that argument. I believe that there is a, a, a huge amount of staff in middle to senior management and not enough staff throughout our primary care system, throughout the system within the hospitals, our nurses and our doctors are under pressure. So there, there's a, an imbalance there that has to be corrected. Throwing more money at that is not going to solve it. Okay, and related to that, a uh, caller is asking... Any comment, John, of a lady of 79 getting carers allowance for her husband and last month it got stopped? Absolutely disgraceful. She doesn't say why, but would you have any insight, any comment on that one? Yeah, well, I, I encourage people that are have that type of issue uh, and it's a legitimate case to come forward either directly to social welfare or to a public representative. I, I deal with those cases a lot, quite a lot uh, because people find it difficult to deal with the bureaucracy around trying to solve that problem. Um, but that's, you know, that, that's an issue that can happen to anyone. Uh, it's a question of answering the department and setting out your case, uh, and you'll find and see that there's been some error made on one side or the okay. other. OK, can we direct that caller to you? You might you can, be able to give a dig I'm out there. happy to, to deal with those OK, um, John, another, cases. another caller here is asking, can anything be done to speed up driving test applications? Um, this person is waiting for... I think up to a year. Yeah, and some 18 months. I wish there there could be a way to immediately deal with that. That's a question of creating a more you know efficient way of dealing with the driving test uh, backlog uh, and also to perhaps get more testers in there. Uh, but the amount of people that are now finding themselves on waiting lists, whether it be hospitals, whether it be driving tests, is growing by the day. Uh, and as the population grows and the issues around you know different age cohorts and so on uh, those lists are going to get longer we're playing and we need, to, we need to address it we need to become uh, a, a, an economy that can easily turn around problems face them down and deliver an efficient service we're seemingly not able to do that uh, regardless of how much money government put into the, the, the system itself I, I, I did see a report recently where it was being suggested that change managers were actually needed to force the type of change that is designed to bring about a different uh, system, a different culture uh, within civil and public service. And I think that is needed badly. Okay, can I throw this suggested change out to you and to our listeners this morning? In France, what they do for driving tests is, suppose it's yourself, myself and Tara, we're waiting to do our test this morning. We rock up to the test centre, we all pile into the car. I start, I do my little bit of driving, then I hand the wheel to Tara, she does her little bit, then we hand it to you, you do your little bit, back to the centre and we get our results. What would you reckon of that? It would cut a bit of time maybe. Uh, I don't know how that might work <laughs> about, uh, on an individual basis, but um, it's the same answer. You've got to get the staff in there to do the tests. We have a particular way of doing our tests in Ireland that 
you know, uh, has managed the system well. But this is not so much about the test. It, it is about the backlog in terms of those that are waiting for the test. But I think the reason is that we need the, the testers and there's a whole time issue there, whereas I think that suggestion might actually solve that problem somewhat. But I think what's interesting, John, is when I was in France and I saw that, I was thinking to myself, oh my God, it's bad enough doing the test besides having somebody with you. And when I suggest it to you, I can see from your face that you're thinking, oh, not sure about that. (laughs) We are slow to accept the change that these change managers or whomever might bring to our door. And I think that's the problem with a lot of the things that we need to shake up. Well, I think the government structures are kind of happiest with the status quo my position is that the status quo is not good enough you need to constantly challenge yourself to deliver better to do better and the state needs to challenge itself to do better for the people that it works for Uh, and that is the citizen uh, of the country so whether it's a dry test or an operation or a HSE issue or a local government issue housing for example we need to do better Uh, and the systems do not seem to be there Uh, in spite of the money uh, to get a better outcome it's slower, there's too much bureaucracy, too much red tape and the outcome is not satisfying the customer which is the citizen but you are in a much better position to affect that change and to do better than we are. And do you think that you are doing enough and that your colleagues, the other deputies nationwide, are doing enough? I think that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, from my own position, and I can only speak for myself, I constantly raise the issue of bureaucracy and red tape and the need to do better and the need to, you know, challenge the status quo every uh, at, at, at every turn. The problem is that within the state itself, you have big government, you have trade unions, and you have individuals, and they all have to have a say. And the structure that's there to allow them to have to say and to bring about the changes simply is not working. And we have to be brave enough as a country to bring in a system that does work, that will challenge everyone, uh, but that will get the best outcome for those that are in need of the service that we're challenging. And that needs to be done sooner rather than later. Throwing money after a problem is not necessarily the way to solve it. Okay. Any comment, John, on shortage of Gardaí in this country as crime increases in Kilkenny as well? Gardaí are very scarce on the beat that comes in from a texture this morning. Yeah, a number of counties, uh, including Kilkenny and indeed Carlow, could do with an awful lot more Gardaí on the beat. Uh, and we need to make uh, their jobs far more attractive. Uh, I've, w- I would advocate that we need, you know, d- you mentioned France earlier on, you need the community guard, uh, you need the guards then that are dealing with criminality, uh, and then you need something like the special branch. So you do need a root and branch overhaul of the Gardaí, same way with the army, but you need to pay your staff better. You need to give them goals to achieve. You need to create an officer class within the Gardaí. Uh, and that hasn't, we haven't had major change like that in generations. Uh, and there's a reluctance to change. And again, you have those that are involved in the system, those that are employed by the Defence Forces or the Gardaí, those that want change and those that don't want change. And it's, it's to manoeuvre your way through all of that and get a better deal. But there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the terms and conditions for both the Defence Forces and for the Gardaí need to be dealt with as a matter of urgency. That will require money to uh, pay the Gardaí, 
to make the changes then that are necessary to restructure uh, and to give them the expertise and all of the technology and supports that they require to do a job because crime such as drugs is completely out of control in my opinion uh, and do you mean specifically in Kilkenny or generally I mean all around the country and Kilkenny is no exception uh, you know you can dry, purchase most hard drugs now on the street corner um, it's very easy for people to get into uh, the use of drugs and that is a frightening thing for uh, communities throughout Ireland uh, and communities therefore in Kilkenny and in Carlow and we need to you know, arm the guards with far more than what they have uh, in order to combat the crime that I see every day antisocial behaviour for example is a basic uh, right. People have a right to proper, you know, um, peaceful existence and a good quality of life. That's affected by uh, antisocial behaviour. People involved in all sorts of, of uh, criminality. Uh, and the guards need to be structured in such a way that there is a section that will deal with that. So whether you're talking about serious crime, drugs, or even that basic crime of, of um, property being damaged communities being affected by it that needs to be dealt with okay. and we have to see those changes that will make it uh, sorry see the changes that are necessary uh, to ensure that the criminality is dug out of the system is taken away from our, our day to day challenges uh, I know that we're, we're, we're always going to have uh, issues around that similar to the fraud in, in, in state but we have to take sizable measurable um, actions that will show people that we're serious uh, about okay. these well, issues. Well, we do. We rely on you, John, and the other deputies to fight the good fight on yeah. our behalf. Nice text in here. A big, say a big thank you to our TD, John McGuinness, for addressing all issues here in Kilkenny, housing, health, etc., etc., right across the board. And that comes in from Andrew McGuinness. I'm joking. It comes in from <laughs> the listener. John, thank you so much for coming in for the chat this morning. Have you any nice holiday plans? Uh, I hope to take a week uh, in France, which I usually do every year. Well, have a look at the driving centres and see what I'd you think. Come back to for, us. For you specifically, yes. <laughs> yes. You can do a little recce for There are some first. great things about France um, in terms of their efficiencies. But then what I always admire about France is when something goes wrong, they are willing to protest, they're willing to and go how. to the streets and they know well how to do it. But the thing, if you don't like bureaucracy, France is not the place to, no, to model yourself place, on. But, but at the same time, you, you, I think we should take the best from some of the countries. Indeed. The main message is the status quo should not be accepted. We should challenge it every single day. Okay, well, taking the best, bring us back a bit of cheese and <laughs> bon voyage. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlow, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Welcome back. Now, a post caught our eye. Martin O'Brien of the Mullicon Cafe in St Mullins did a really beautiful post about, well, it was entitled, It's a Great Little Country, Experience It. Martin O'Brien, good morning. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad. Tell <laughs> us a little bit. You might sum up your sentiments in this post because it, it really was a lovely read. So you might share your thoughts with our listeners this morning. I, I, I think when you went, I, I kind of go back to when we were kids, and uh, your whole ambition was to get out of Ireland, to get out for the sunny holiday, the Tormelinas, the Benidorm, those times. But I think it's just uh, we we have rediscovered Ireland um, in in the camping, in the cycling, canoeing. Um, it's just um, I think this year, probably more than any year, people, even though it's been raining, um, they see it's a very special place. And that in terms of comfort, food, you know, enjoying yourself, Ireland is a great little place. Um, I know July now has been 
awful. What, four times the amount of rain than previously in July? But look, we're still here. We're still here. And we're, 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 we're doing grand down to Mullacar Cafe. I have to say now, the people just keep coming. Um, so it is a great little spot. A great little spot. Well, it's interesting that you haven't been affected and because your, your footfall would be very much people out doing that gorgeous river walk. So you don't think the inclement weather that we've seen in July has had too much of an effect on your numbers, Martin? Well, I think it has had an effect. Like June, June was tremendous. You couldn't complain about June. Uh, and July has been hit. I, probably the biggest difficulty for us is actually predicting it. Um, now, I, we have the tables outside on the river and that's lovely uh, until you see the clouds coming over Brandon, <laughs> but it's it's been pretty good uh, for 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 June July. Um, I think probably most businesses got hit was in March April uh, because it was just cold and miserable. Um, but like, we're looking forward to a good, to a good August. Um, the weekend here now we had um, art art in the air, so we had artists all over the key here. And funny, we think it's raining all the time, but like there was a couple of little dribbles or little bits of drizzle now and again but it was a perfect day here um, absolutely fabulous we saw so I think it's a case pictures, of put- sorry Martin for cutting across you there but we yeah. saw lovely pictures of the outdoor art tell us a little bit about that was it a class is that what was happening no no it's it's a, an international event and uh, it's one from Wexford and they have a huge um, number of people from all over the world here competing and they spend the whole week going to different places in, in Wexford, um, Carlo. And then at the end of the week, there's a competition. I think they enter two paintings each to, to a, this international art competition. But some of the talent and some of the paintings were just stunning. Uh, also by the fact that they were just painted in that day. It wasn't kind of over a week or it was in that day. So it was, we had a great crowd here. Like it was on a Monday and for us to get that number of people here on a Monday, a big thank you to them all. They were very welcome. Um, the, I suppose the catch for us is we have 30 staff here, and uh, it seems like an awful lot, but we're open seven days a week uh, from, from um, 11 until 5. So we've been open seven days a week. You have to have the cover of staff, unless you go to self-service, which we don't want to do. We want to be able to serve people, leave them sit down. But it's also a great gathering spot here, um, people got very shut up in the in the, the shutdown for coronavirus, and it's amazing now when you look at the number of local people that come to us here. It's a place to go, and I think the Goodly Barrow Open Gores Bridge is the same. Uh, it's providing a place to go beside the river, um, gives a bit of atmosphere. But we we've opened a, a bike hire here as well, and again, people are quite happy to walk to the lock and back. But, but it's the only the, 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 the gazelles that will walk to Great Namana and further. So people love to hire a bike and head off up the river. Um, they're off the road. They're, they're safe. Their kids are safe. Um, the Around here, we, if you look at our website, we have a whole pile of walks up around the mountains behind us here. And it's amazing how many people use it. Uh, they're not going that far, but they're, you can look over a wall. You can see an old sheep or a, <laughs> or a cow in the fields. And People are very shut up in the city. They're very shut up at home. And they love to get out to something that's kind of out in the air. Rain doesn't matter once it's not pouring down. But uh, it is a good country. It's really. beautiful. Uh, and like that, that walk for those of us who are urban dwellers offers 
such gorgeous piece and as you say put on the raincoat a few drops of rain aren't going to get in the way of the lovely fresh air and the lovely vista all the lovely things that are to be seen the cows and the sheep and the river just the sound yeah. of the river in the background is just fabulous actually Paula's coming on with us tomorrow she's going to do a little recipe Paula from the Goodly Barrow so um, we look forward okay, to okay great we look great. forward to meeting her so the bike hire is up and running Martin is that correct? The bike car is up and running and it's got great, fantastic. Um, and it's just people come, like it's, it's um, with kids, especially coming to this time of the year, like with three weeks to go to them getting ready to go back to school. Oh, don't So say it's that. almost kind of. I We're know, not ready for I those know. countdowns. I, I give out to every teacher I see. I say, why can't you make it the second week in September, please? <laughs> I'd say um, every teacher would say, well, I would only love to, but they don't have that power, unfortunately. But yes, no, they don't. to they get don't. out and get 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 taken a little bit of all that St. Mullins and all all other gorgeous areas of Kilkenny, Carlow and beyond have to offer. Martin, it was lovely to chat to you. I do think, I was chatting to a friend actually yesterday and she was saying she'd gone on a day trip as well with her two little boys and she said, I just can't understand how people go abroad because every day that they're off, they're discovering another little gem which doesn't involve the stress of airport or mad traffic. Like within very reasonable distance, there is fabulous stuff to be seen and enjoyed, including... yeah, we, we see the kids now here, and we provide, we have a whole pile of life jackets here, um, and we see the kids, and they've spent hours in that water. People say, is it cold in there? No, it's not. I get in every day. It's absolutely gorgeous. Do you? So I think it's just a case of get up and get out. Get up and get out. One of the um, things, Martin, in your post that you finished on was that they're enjoying the water and all the rest of it, but at the end, they're still asking, is there Wi-Fi here? <laughs> it's funny when, when the girls go to take an order at the table and you see the kids sitting there, you know, glued to their iPhones and you kind of, I'll often say, put, put that away. Put that away. You'd say it to the kids. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, and you get that kind of a grin. Look, it's a modern phenomenon. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, but they, 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 love their, they love their iPhones. They do. But once you get them out in the water, they can't bring the iPhone with them. So you have them, you have them when you get them in the great outdoors. So and if they're going up the river here on a bicycle, they can't, the iPhone won't work. I'd say, I'd say the iPhone could be out though, nonetheless. They mightn't get the connection, but they still might look for it. Listen, it was lovely to chat <laughs> yeah, to you, exactly. Martin, and we wish you a successful end of season and we look forward to taking a cycle out your way. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Now the Guardi are looking for assistance and I'm joined in studio by Sergeant Conor Egan. Good morning, Conor. How morning, are you? Yona. How are you? Not too bad. So we'll get straight down to business. Okay. Um, yeah, a couple of burglaries in the Carlo area in the last week. Oh, and the first one being sometime between the 23rd of July and the 30th of July, it was reported to us. So uh, my colleagues in Carlo are investigating uh, the burglary in the Johnstown area of Binnacary, uh sometimes between the above dates. And there was a number of items of property uh, stolen from, from the site, uh, Una, including a washing machine, two gas cylinders, a water tank and four paintings. Now the only painting we have a, a description of was an 18th century uh, Great Lakes of America painting and all stolen from uh, an outer shed on the property was a fairly distinctive a Massey Ferguson tractor 2002 reg and a small trailer and six rolls of barbed wire. So uh, my colleagues in Carlo are appealing for anybody to, uh, uh, that might have noticed uh, anything suspicious around the 
the Johnstown area of Benicary between the 23rd and 30th of, of July and obviously you know some of those items are bulky it would have required some form of transport a van uh, to take away the tractor maybe some sort of a low loader or, or a, a transport trailer so again look at if anybody is offered the Massey Ferguson tractor um, a 2002 Ridge or uh, anything under suspicious circumstances just bearing in mind that it could be the proceeds of, of, of burglaries or, sto- or, you know, or the property could be stolen. Okay, and even if that was the dead of night, I'm sure it, it wasn't a very easily, um, it wasn't a very quick... No, no, you wouldn't imagine so. And look at Johnstown, uh, Benicare, it's just mm. it's just, just on, on a main road to, to, from, from Carlo to Tolo. So, you know, taxis, uh, dash cam, whatever. I know the time span is over a week there, but, it, you know, just to jog people's memories, they might see something that uh, recalls something that, that, that stood out to them on, on the Johnstown Road. Okay. And another burglary then in Bagnallstown. Yeah, we're moving to Bagnallstown now. And this was quite a frightening one. My colleagues in, in Bagnallstown, they're investigating a house burglary that took place in the Glynnabaroo estate. Now, that's an estate just off the Ryle Oak there in Bagnallstown. And it occurred at 1.10am on last uh, Wednesday morning, the 26th of July. I suppose the frightening thing about this one, Una, is that the occupants of the house were upstairs at the time when they heard banging and the movement coming from downstairs. Uh, I suppose, fortunately, the the intruders fled empty-handed when they realised that there was occupants they heard noise from upstairs uh, and fled the house uh, without taking anything. Uh, Entry in this uh, case was gained through the rear window of the house. And again, look at anybody in the Glenniborough estate or maybe the Royal Oak. uh, 1.10am last Wednesday morning, the 26th of July, any suspicious activity uh, people hanging around, maybe contact my, my colleagues in Bagnallstown. Okay, please. that's very frightening for those yeah, people. And we had yeah. a similar one last week with um, Garda Andy O'Neill and I was asking, what should one do in that case? Should you maybe lock yourself into a room was what he was suggesting? Yeah, I I, I think that would be the, the, the appropriate advice and, and ring 999. And call the guards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Look, at no property is worth putting yourself at risk for, you know, uh, and look at a 999 call, the response time from the guardie will, in an instance like that, intruders on, will be pretty rapid. Okay. Uh, we move to Tullow. Yeah, uh, Tullow, uh, again, um, my my colleagues in Tullow, they're investigating the theft from the water treatment plant at, at Loch Martin uh, sometime between half past five last Thursday, the 27th of July and 10am, so some uh, Friday morning, 28th, so sometime overnight and uh, a Komatsu rock breaker was stolen from the site. So uh, for those people, you know, the Loch Martin, the water treatment plant is just on the outskirts of town, uh, outside on the Bunclody Road out of Tullow. So again, probably would want to transport to take away a, a rock breaker. You would want transport. So again, any activity overnight there on the Bunclody Road at Loch Martin. Any idea what that looks be. like? Uh, I don't know. I think the value is somewhere around a thousand euro. Okay, but it's uh, a bulky it's, item yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'd imagine something probably like a Kango hammer, that type of, of a rock breaker. Okay, so then uh, from Carlo to Kilkenny, and this is a high street theft. Yeah, uh, a theft from a, from, from a person on high street there. Uh, so again, the, the, the guardian Kilkenny were appealing for information following the incident whereby a sum of money was taken from the backpack of a lady uh, as she was walking in high street. Now this happened last Saturday, 20, 29th of July, between quarter past 12 and half 12, so a short time frame. Uh, the lady was walking between Eurogiant and Deals there at Market Cross. 
uh, she felt a tug, uh, kind of her backpack being tugged uh, at the time, and then subsequently to discover the cash missing from her her backpack. Again, my colleagues in 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 Kilkenny, they're currently canvassing CCTV in High Street and in the vicinity. But we are supposed to be appealing for any witnesses or anybody that might have information in relation to that. A nasty enough one, you know, for that was somebody swiftly visiting. Done. Yeah, she didn't yeah. notice it in the moment, except no, for the little tug. No, the little tug, and then a couple of minutes later, discovered it gone. It's your typical your your pickpocket, you know. Uh, that that that's you know that's the, how they they're, they're, they're good at it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then there was some criminal damage in Johnstown, I believe. Yeah, the next few incidents were going back to North Kilkenny, Una. Uh, and this incident, uh, the, the Guardian Orlingford actually received port yesterday on the 1st of August of damage to the railing at Spa Hill Viewing Point in Johnstown. So the exact dates that the damage occurred is unknown, but it's believed to have occurred sometime between the 17th of July and yesterday, the 1st of August. So I know, look, that's a two-week time span. But when my colleagues went from Orlingford went to inspect the damage, they did notice extensive damage to the railing there at the viewing point, and there will be a, a fairly substantial repair bill. Um, so again, look at anybody that noticed anything suspicious over that period of time up at the, the viewing point maybe contact my colleagues in Arlingford or look at it, it might have been a case that somebody accidentally damaged it and panicked or whatever, so if anybody has any, any information on that as I said, there will be a hefty repair bill, so just, uh, you know we, we are, are appealing for anything on that to help us with that one. Okay, the next one I'm going to suggest is an unusual theft of stop signs, or maybe not It's the first, uh, in 30 years in the guards, I think it's the first time I've come across something like this, Una, again in the North Kilkenny area um, again, reported to my colleagues yesterday on the 1st of August. And it's it's unusual, as you rightly said, four stop signs taken in the North Kilkenny area over the last few weeks. And again, the locations from where the signs have been removed are Crosspatrick, Johnstown, Bon, Tullavolte, Galmai, Johnstown, the Valley Inn in Woodsgift and Bar- uh, Brabstown in Tullerone. So again, one of the exact dates of the removal of, of the signs are unknown, but again believed somewhere between the 17th of July and the 1st of August. And just, uh, to, you know, just for people out there, under the Road Traffic Act of 1961, it is an offence uh, without lawful authority to remove, deface or otherwise injure a traffic sign. And that is a criminal offence. So again, why somebody would want to remove not one but four uh, four stop signs in, in rural part of North Kilkenny. Well, I'm, I'm imagining for no good reason because uh, they yeah. wouldn't be much good to yeah, anybody. Absolutely. And, and bear in mind the danger of it. Mm. You're, you know, you're removing a stop sign from a road. They're there for a reason. Absolutely. And just the danger to other road users. It's it's totally irresponsible. And whether it's just out of devilment or there's a more sinister reason, but again, any information we'd love to 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 to, to hear uh, anything on that. Well, I think the again. consequences of that one far greater than any possible crack Absolutely, you could get out of it. Yeah. Uh, moving to Greignamana to Tinnehinch. Yeah, Tinnehinch. The key in Tinnehinch there. Um, a person had their uh, their barge moored there and uh, it was uh, vacant for a month and, uh, between the 1st of July and the 31st of, of July and when the owner returned they noticed uh, that the window on the barge was broken. Now fortunately no entry had been gained, uh, gained to the barge and nothing taken. Again, it occurred sometime uh, over the month uh, of July. Uh, and again, we're appealing to anybody that might have information or seen anything to contact my colleagues there in Greg Namana. Okay. And finally, you have a message about bogus callers, I believe. 
Yeah, and I suppose it follows on anybody that follows the the Waterford Kilkenny uh, Carlo Guard the Facebook page would have seen yesterday my colleagues in in Waterford put up just kind of advice or warning in relation to unsolicited callers in the county and the city in uh, of Waterford. So it's just um we are reminding people to be aware, I suppose, of bogus callers or unsolicited callers to their house. If a person calls to your door offering to carry out work, just a few simple points. They're unsolicited, they're unrequested, so it's kind of a cold call. So don't be afraid to ask for a sales brochure or other documentation that you can investigate and verify whether it is genuine. Don't be afraid to make a call to their company or head office or, or wherever. If you are satisfied that they are genuine, ask for written itemised quotation and references from previous customers. Often the case, Una, they will give you a quote, they'll do the work, Sometimes the work is less than, than, than adequate and then they charge an extortionate rate. Okay. okay. And you're pressurised in, in, into paying it in some instances. Never engage with somebody who insists on cash payment. Use a traceable method of payment so we wouldn't advise in, in, in cash, you know. Um, and again, look at just the, the, the nature of these uh, these bogus traders. They generally target a certain, you know, maybe older people living on their own in, in rural parts of the country. So again, look at if you do have elderly uh, friends or neighbours living on their own, just advise them um, in relation to these scams. And I suppose if you are being the victim of one of these scams, never be embarrassed or ashamed to contact the guard. And I think that's Off, the, it is, that's the it thing, is. isn't it? And we because we, all we feel a bit ashamed. To it, yeah. yes. So we're getting the calls every day. We, they'll be treated in confidence. Nothing to be embarrassed by. Um, look, we've all got the unsolicited, the, unrequ- the unrequested calls to the door. So just be... And, and, and similarly... Uh, we've heard of instances of people impersonating the Gardaí. Never, ever be afraid to ask, to verify, to make the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a legitimate tradesman, a legitimate guard or whatever, we will never mind waiting a few minutes while the person verifies uh, the, 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 the identity of the, the person calling to the door. OK, well, sound advice, Sergeant Conor Egan. Thank you so much. Hopefully our listeners can help you out with some Hopefully, of those. Anna. Thank you. KCLR. Community Assist with Carlo and Kilkenny Gardy. KCLR Live. With thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Welcome back to KCLR Live 083 306 9696 if you want to comment on anything we have going on this morning or if you have any news or views to share with us. We're nosy people around here and your news is always welcome. Isn't that right, Shane O'Keefe? It certainly is. What did you say? I wasn't paying attention. I just said, isn't that right, Shane O'Keefe? Well, listen, you'll never know now until you go back and and (sighs) listen back. I'm going to do a happy birthday for your comedy club. Oh, yes. Return one. one. Return one next weekend next Friday and come here how's it been the year ah it's been amazing just uh, from putting it together and having to write new material all the time and testing stuff out and sometimes doesn't land sometimes it's just a great energy for me personally but to bring it to Kilkenny because we have the the cat laughs once a year to have it all year round now getting new comedians in from Kilkenny uh, from Waterford from Tip new people trying stuff out with some of the best it's, it's a really nice environment it seems to be going really well I always think Shane it's probably one of the scariest art forms because as you said if a joke doesn't land I'm imagining the chill in the air can be pretty scary I kind of love that do you? yeah I had to edit an event one time and I came out and I said three jokes and no one laughed and I just said thank you very much I've been Shane O'Keefe and I just walked off stage <laughs> but like now you kind of can 
absorb that into yourself and start to enjoy the times when the joke doesn't land. But there has to be a gig that just doesn't just just doesn't work, oh. and you come off feeling a little bit. What am I doing with my? I've life? done gigs in the back of a pub where people are facing away from me watching a match. And I've like had three people somewhat listening. So like, but they're they're the things that make it. And if you can get the attention of those people eventually, you know that some of your jokes are working. That it's it's really it's really going well. Shane, who are the big names for you personally? Who would your favorite comedians be? Wow, Eddie that Murphy. Was, that was quick. It, Eddie Murphy Raw is one of the great stand-up performances of all time. What's so good about him? It, it was probably one of the first that I've ever seen, but I don't remember laughing as hard as I ever done. The first time I seen it, the second time I seen it, the 58th time I seen it. I only watched it last week. It's just one of the best performances. He knows this. Like this is done in the 80s. Mm. Barred the first opening 20 minutes, everything transcends time. Everything is still kind of appropriate to the current day is ageless pretty much timeless and I think that must be an energy thing he is just able to work the crowd Mm. use his material another thing I always think is intriguing is when you're watching a gig and I love a comedy gig you think it's just all off the cuff the work that goes in to landing really good material I've seen comedians do the same set and it looks like improv but the same set over and over and over and over again because they're honing the craft that's something that I should probably do but because I don't like travelling I don't like venturing outside of Kilkenny that that much so I come up with new stuff all the time and then that's when you get stuff that doesn't work but it's brilliant getting to see like the people that are top of their game performing their craft and we're going to have some great comedians here tell us who's coming Uh, John Collery uh, some people will see him supporting Tommy Tiernan there last year Um, very very big in the television scene as well he was at the Irish Pictorial Weekly you'll see him on the Savage Eye Stephen Ryan he's a Limerick man unfortunately but uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's still out perf- back he's performed at festivals all through Ireland Edinburgh Latitude Forbidden Fruit the Galway Comedy Festival Ted Fest uh, Kat O'Hanlon she's coming over from America she's been doing stand up in Buffalo New York since 2010 and our own Kilkenny Neve Moroni who's ripping it up over on the European stage over in Brussels Amsterdam Luxembourg uh, so uh, yeah it's it's brilliant to have that Kilkenny connection as well like not a lot of people know that there are some amazing Kilkenny Michael Rice is doing amazing things on the continent he was up at the Ivy Gardens during the weekend we had him down at Christmas we've had some brilliant upstarts as well it's just a really nice avenue and I keep saying we don't just do the comedy show to get people to view comedy if you want to have a go at come up and talk to me and Keen at a gig send us a message on Kilkenny Comedy and uh, you find us on social media you can get tickets on KilkennyComedy.com as well there's only six remaining for our birthday bash so and what's the worst that can happen if the gig really bombs it's all just good for you what doesn't kill you is that it Shane we haven't had a gig that bombs so I don't know have it you could not? kill me well, that's good. That's good news. You know, over the years, the cats laughs. Who stands out for you that you've seen live? For me, for me, it was Joanne McNally. Yeah, uh, Adam Hills. Adam Hills. Uh, he's a one-legged comedian, and he really leans into that. For forgive my pun, pun intended, but he really goes into that. So I, I, I remember seeing him on stage about ten years ago, and he just absolutely lit up Langton's Ballroom. Uh, it was brilliant to get to see uh, someone doing the craft like that. Okay, well, Shane, you've loads of exciting things coming up, exciting people to come and see, and the very best of good luck to you, and happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. KCL or live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlow, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie.
Clifford Reed, Boat Trips.ie. We've just climbed into your boat here at John's Bridge and you've started the motor. It's really quiet. I kind of thought for some reason it might be a bit louder. Cheers, Edwina, for having us on here. Yeah, the engines are very quiet. We went for small engines. That way you can have a conversation going up and down the river. You don't have to be shouting at people. You don't have to be raising your voice and people can just sit back and relax and they don't even hear the engine moving up and down the river so they get to listen to all the wildlife and different things we spot, especially when we go up around Green's Bridge, say, or down around the corner at the Castle Weir there, there's a chance you'll see the kingfisher. So what we normally do is we'll hear the kingfisher before we actually see them. They have a really unique sound. Then you can watch out and see if you spot them. A lot of Kilkenny people may not have seen the river or seen the city from this angle or seen the wildlife that it has. Yeah, I get a great buzz out bringing locals out in particular. Like, this is a tourism business here and we're bringing tourists out the whole time. But when you get the locals out on the water itself and they're going under, say, John's Bridge or under the New Bridge or, you know, even on the pedestrian bridge there, it gives them a whole different view of the city and a different perspective. And they're looking up at the castle, when we're right under the castle and they're looking up at it and they're seeing the city from a different angle that they've never seen it before just even to see their expression on their face sometimes when you're having a conversation then as well and you're telling a few stories and bits and pieces people say oh I didn't know that or you know so I get a great kick out of that to be honest with you. I think in the last few years we're making a little bit more use of the River Nord than we have done in the past certainly the Kilkenny Triathlon Club have used it for for events we have the North Swim coming up again it's an annual event uh, this year I think in aid of Amber but to have a boat on the river that's what a lot of people want to check out. Yeah for me I've always been around rivers I love rivers and I have a real passion for the rivers whether it's the Nord or the Barrow or down the Shannon or wherever it is in the country I'll always be on a river and what I love doing is bringing people out and introducing them to the river you know and having a boat on the river gives a lot of people that access you know like here in Kilkenny there's some fantastic clubs and they do great work keeping the river in pristine condition you look around and there's not a piece of litter and whether that's the triathlon club or the local canoeing club and, and then you've got like Sir Roger McClure setting up his new business there River Bend uh, Ventures there and he's bringing people out the whole time but canoeing and kayaking isn't for everyone you see so to have the boat and bring them out in the boat it gives access to people that necessarily might not go on uh, a kayak or a canoe or a dragon boat or go for a swim in the river so I think between the whole lot between the triathlon club and the swim and Roger and his son doing the, the kayaking and stuff more and more people are getting onto the river and we'll continue to grow and get onto the river and you see the ladies even and the guys there in the dragon boats up and down the river every week you know more and more people are being introduced to the waterways and for a long time we've turned our back on rivers not here solely in Kilkenny or Carlow but nationwide so it's great to see that happening that people are returning to the waterways and getting out and using them again you know, because for so long they were just seen as a, a place of danger and they were treated like a sewer. That image is changing and people are getting out on the waterways more and more. And when you mentioned safety there in particular, the first thing we did before I came down the ramp was put on a life jacket. That's really important. Certainly. I'm on the river every day and I drive around with a life jacket in my van the whole time. I will not walk down a gangway or down onto a jetty, no matter where I am in the country, without a life jacket on. Because it's the complacency that does it. You're walking down along one day and you slip, you bang your head and you fall in. And that's when your life jacket comes into play because you could be knocked unconscious and you can't fend for yourself or your life jacket will put you the right way up and it'll keep you afloat in the river and keep you alive. Sadly, every year there's always deaths on our waterways here in Ireland and the Irish Water Safety do great work nationwide promoting it and campaigning it and training lifeguards and, and doing all that. But the message has to keep going out to people continuously. Like, Just don't go near the rivers, don't go near the sea, don't go near any of the lakes or the waterways unless you have a buoyancy aid or a life jack on you because you'll only need it the once but when you need it, you want to have it with you. 
We're heading upstream, uh, about to go under the uh, Lady Desert pedestrian bridge. Um, what route do you typically take? So we normally bring people up as far as Greens Bridge. Um, we turn around then and back down under John's Bridge, down under the castle, down to the weir, turn around and then back to John's Bridge and we take them off at of John's Bridge. The whole trip takes about 40 minutes all along and we adapt the, the trip depending on who we have on board to be honest with you um, we have a couple of different uh, skippers there's myself, there's Elder and there's my, my lady, uh, Anne-Marie so between the three of us we'll, we'll cater for whoever we have so Mammy, Daddy and the three kids come out they'll obviously get a different trip to what say four Americans coming out on the boat will get and as we're coming up by the um, Abbey Quarter, the former brewery site and um, that's being developed and I know they're going to try and incorporate uh, the river into the development there too Yeah and I think that's the whole uh, attitude now is changing not only here in Kilkenny but across the country that people are actually starting to turn back to the river and embrace the river in their development and I see this happening in Atai, it's happening in Carlow We've, there's new facilities going into Carlow there in, in the town park there's new facilities going in in Atai there's new facilities going in in Munster Revan we have a new facility going down here behind the River Court Hotel. So um, all that is, is the development. People, the planners and the county councils are looking at it and saying, rather than shunning the river or turning away from the river, we now have to embrace it and incorporate it into, into all our plans. So it's great to see the likes of these developments going ahead, yeah. We're in the heart of Kilkenny City. Your motor is running. I can hear the Thalsal chiming in the background. There's birds chirping and tweeting. It's so peaceful. It is, and that's one thing people find, that when we go up and down the river, we're moving along here at probably four kilometres an hour. It's a slow pace. It's not a trills and spills. You're out here to relax. You're out here to unwind. You're out here to put away your phone, put away all your gadgets, and just take in the surroundings, you know. And where else would you have beautiful surroundings like this? You know, all the built heritage you have around you. And then when you go out to the edge of the river here, the edge of town, you have all the natural heritage, you know. You have all the wildlife and the flora and the fauna around you have otters you can spot, you have kingfishers, there's herns, there's swans, there's everything to see, you know, and then you have all these magnificent buildings around you in the heart of the city here, so what's not to relax and take it all in? And even the new mural here um, and the old handball alley as well uh, on the quay, you know, you're seeing a lot of little sights and the beautiful flowers that the council have put out as well. It's fantastic and, it, it, you know, the mural is often uh, spoken about here on the boat, it's one of the first things people spot. But the constant feedback we get here on the boat, to be honest about it, is how pristine Kilkenny is kept. Do you know what I mean? It really puts the country to shame here uh, on how well they're able to do it here in Kilkenny. And that's everyone making an effort from the council right down to the guys on the ground. And I see it here, and I see it with the local clubs here that are involved in the waterways, and guys coming out, even off their own back individually, picking litter up and down. Like, we go up and down the river here, and if we see litter in the river, we'll take it out, obviously, because this is where we work and this is where we play, and we want to keep it right. But then you have guys coming down, just volunteering their time, going out, and it never amazes me the amount of volunteers here in Kilkenny. It's a real credit to the local organisations, to be honest about it, that uh, give it their time and organise for picks, litter picks to come out and do it here constantly. You know, the, If you're a, a visitor to Kilkenny City and wherever you come from in the country, it's the one thing we keep hearing back on the boat is how well kept it is. And what that does, I think anyway, in my opinion, is it kind of uh, sets a standard or a kind of a culture there where is, if something is kept nice and clean, people won't litter anyway. Do you know what I mean? So any tourists coming in, they'll see how clean the streets are. To clean it, see how clean the river is, they're not going to throw rubbish around.
Okay, we're approaching uh, Greens Bridge, Clifford, and already some exciting sights. Yeah, so we just spotted a uh, kingfisher here. Uh, we're always spotting them up around here in, in Greens Bridge. And we just saw, there he goes flying across there now in front of us at the wind. I see him coming across there to the right hand side. Watch him now, he'll, he'll pop up onto one of the perches there. The kingfishers around here, they, they know every perch where to fish from, you know what I mean? So, one of the tricks a lot of guys use if they want to get a photograph is they'll get a stick and they'll stick it in the ground and lean it out over the river like a perch. Because this guy's flying around here, he knows every fishing spot there is in, in this area. So if you leave a stick lying out over the river, he'll land on that and test it out for fishing. And I've often done it here with my own boat. Say you're mooring up and you tie it off somewhere, he'll come and land on the rope of it just to test out to see what it's like. So they're fantastic, beautiful little birds to see here, so they are. The peace and quiet and absolute beautiful countryside. We could be in the middle of nowhere. You could be anywhere, and especially when you have a nice sunny day like, like now and the sun is out and the ducks are there in the water and the kingfish are flying about and he's doing his own little thing as well. Nothing as peaceful, is there? And, and the sound of the water rippling down along here is just as nice as well. So it all adds to the peace and tranquility of the area. Clifford, look where we are. We've come back down under John's Bridge. We're on the far side of Kilkenny Castle and, my gosh, breathtaking. Oh, it's fantastic. You wouldn't know you're in a city here with all this greenery around you and the beautiful sound of the river here. And there's the kingfisher again, another kingfisher. See him, Adina? Then we have down here, we have, I see the hern coming out along. We call this lad Bertie. Bertie a hern is what we call him. And when we get down here, you'll often see a couple of lovely little grey wagtails. I do like telling the story about the grey wagtails here, about how the devil was walking by one day, seemingly, and spat on the tail of a wagtail. And that's why it's been waggling. He's been trying to shake it off ever since. So, um, yeah, plenty of wildlife. Here's a hern sitting on the, the weir here now, and he has something copped, you know, by the way he's watching. So if we watch him here, you might see him stab for it, but it's all happening here with wildlife around you the whole time. And all we have to do is take the time to sit back, open our eyes, listen to it and watch it. It's there, it's on our doorstep, and especially here, when you have a lovely walk down along here, Canal Walk, or, or if you're looking at it from the river here as well, the wildlife is everywhere. And I remember once walking along by the river, and I see we're passing the boat slip here on the Canal Walk, seeing an otter popping out yeah we see them here regular mostly otters would be coming out during the night but they'd often pop up here during the day and they'd throw their head up and and they're so used to us going by on the boats they're not anyway scared of us or they're not afraid of us in any way shape or form so they often hang around and just look at us with as much curiosity as we do look at them here last year we had a, a cormorant come in and what the cormorant used to do was in the same way a horse would follow a car along the road, the cormorant would follow the boat. So he'd dive down, swim maybe 50 metres, pop up his head and wait for the boat to come back up. And then when we were parallel with him, he'd dive under again and go on down again more. So. And what a view of the castle. It's a view not a lot of people get to see. It's a different angle and a different view. And would you believe we were here one day and had brought him down past the castle and had seen the castle, say, from John's Bridge, as most people would see it. And then they came down here from this side of the castle looking back and there was an American couple on it, and they started arguing over the castle because he thought it was two separate buildings, and she was trying to convince him, no, it's the one building. So yeah, I had to go up and say, it is the one building, come on, we show you. Yeah, I love it down here. And when we come down here on the tour, we often just shut off the engine for a few minutes and let people really hear the sounds around them and, and listen to the sound of the water going down over the weir and the likes of the kingfisher whizzing by or the, the hern there, or, and especially in the early spring. If you're out here in the early spring and... The birds are really, really active because they're in the middle of the breeding season. It's so loud and so vivid, the sound here, it, it's fantastic. 
I'm Cassidy. I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm 19 years old. And what are you doing here? I'm travelling and visiting friends, seeing Ireland and all of Europe. And you found yourself on a boat at the Nore. What was it like? It was very relaxing and really interesting to see the town and learn about the history of Ireland and the castles and everything that's around, yeah. What was the duration like? I think an hour, yeah, going up and down. Not too long, it was the perfect amount of time, yeah. And do you think as a visitor to Kilkenny, is it a good way to see Kilkenny Centre? Or Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's lots along the riverbank as well to see that you might not see if you don't go on the water. Did you learn anything? Yes, I learnt about the monument and there's a, an art piece and if you go to the QR code you can see the art moving, it's very cool. My name is Matthew and I'm from Kells, Kilkenny and I'm 12 years old. And how did you find yourself on a boat? I just tagged along with these. <laughs> And what did you think of it? It's just so fun going up through uh, rivers. It's just nice and relaxing. Clifford, how gorgeous. We're coming back to uh, our little jetty here just under John's Bridge and the ducks are being fed by some good people on the side and they're, they're pretty excited. But they didn't tear off when we came by them. No, the ducks are very used to us here on the boat and for people coming down and feeding them themselves. Everyone has a mixed opinion to ducks. I love seeing them on the river. I think they're an incredible little bird altogether. Very intelligent, very clever. Mind you, they're very aggressive, I would say. But when they come down here and the kids are feeding them in the whole lot, this is why I get a kick out, because when the kids come down to feed the ducks like this, it's introducing them to wildlife, it's introducing them to nature. And if you introduce people to the outdoors or introduce them to nature and wildlife, they're more willing to take care of it. You know, I think that's the biggest problem we have, and we all know that what's going on with climate change and biodiversity loss and all this in the country. We've lost that connection with nature. And when we see kids coming down to feed the ducks and stuff, there's hope for the future, I think, in it, you know? Well, with that hope for the future, if you want to show more people the beauty of Kilkenny, city from your boats how can they get involved the best thing is, is to go to boattrips.ie and just click on Kilkenny and you can put trip there we're going seven days a week throughout the summer months we'll be here up until October so it'd be great to have them out and have you aboard KCLO Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. I had some serious FOMO listening to that lovely report from Edwina Grace of her trip out on the river with Cliff. Hope you enjoyed. Now, new research from the Central Statistics Office seems to show that a sense of shame, particularly among female victims, continues to contribute to a culture of silence around sexual violence. I'm joined on the line by Shirley Scott, the policy manager of Dublin Rape Crisis, pardon, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre to discuss, oh, I'm jumping over my words here, to discuss this. Shirley, good morning. Morning to you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Were you surprised by these CSO findings, Shirley? So I suppose what happened on Monday is the fourth in a series um, of releases by the Central Statistics Office examining the prevalence of sexual violence in Ireland. So I suppose, you know, in in many ways, what it's doing is it's it's giving us really good information um, oftentimes not information, you know, which means that is, it is easy to, you know, to hear. But I suppose it is providing us with, you know, kind of really good solid information. And Monday's publication was specifically about adults who had experienced sexual violence and whether or not they disclosed that experience 
parts of who they told maybe reasons why they did or didn't um, and you know who were they telling were they using services and things like that and it's building on you know a, a data that um, has started to come out to us from them since April and I suppose what that told us back in April is that 40% of adults reported experiencing sexual violence over their lifetime and then as, as you say kind of one of the one of the findings that we are getting uh, on Monday is how kind of 31% of those who responded to the survey said that they had never disclosed because of shame and embarrassment and it was higher significantly higher among women than it was um, among men. And there are a few so, things in that, Shirley, that bother me. I suppose, firstly, that is quite a startling figure that more than half of all Irish women and 40% of all adults, as you mm-hmm. said, have experienced sexual violence. But if the culture of silence is as pervasive as this study would suggest, the actual figures could be a whole lot longer, I would suggest. A whole lot higher, rather. A, a, whole, a whole lot higher, mm-hmm. yes. But I suppose... What, you know, I suppose there are other, I suppose, figures within there as well that are telling us that, you know, kind of there were people disclosing, you know, and one of the reasons that they were doing that is that they were looking for help for themselves or that they were looking kind of to prevent, you know, perpetrators from continuing the abuse. So kind of while some people are are, are kind of feel silenced that can't, you know, there are others. And I suppose what we were seeing as well in the survey is it those who were coming forward to disclose it seemed to be higher among kind of um that cohort you know aged 18 to 24 so that maybe there's a, a message getting out there to maybe younger you know our our younger population that you know what i mean there are places to come forward to that when they do kind of disclose that there are people there to listen to support and help in in ways that they can but yes you know kind of to go back to what you're saying as well that it is it is kind of hard to hear that you know people are still using reasons like um shame and embarrassment and i suppose the other one that jumped out for us as well was that in in a lot of cases people are thinking that um what happened to them wasn't serious enough so what we're hearing is that people are minimizing what happened to them so what we need to do is we need to get a message out there that there is support that there's people who will listen without judgment because obviously what those respondents you know in kind of responding to the CSO what they were doing is they were harshly judging themselves they were they were thinking about what happened and thinking oh that's not serious enough so obviously as a society we have more to do so that we are not minimizing and we are not trivialising what is happening. Do you think that the legacy of the Me Too movement, just to, to broadly refer to it as such, has that message empowered younger people more than their older counterparts? I think possibly yes and I think that's something that we were seeing as well you know while sometimes there were kind of similarities between how men and women were responding to the sur- you know to the survey what you were seeing were differences among kind of age cohorts where those in the older age cohort maybe were not coming forward or not accessing things because you know maybe for them kind of when 
their abuse, their violence happened. It was in a time where with society, you know, we weren't being um, as maybe as compassionate. We weren't taking things as seriously as uh, we weren't taking things um, seriously enough and perhaps maybe minimising and trivialising kind of what they were going through. And do you think that accounts for the fact that women are more likely to disclose than men, according to this uh, study, with disclosure rates of 47%, which is still low, let's face it, for women, but only 25% for men? Yeah, and, and I suppose that can often as well be reflected among kind of support services where you see that in terms of a gender breakdown that, you know, more women maybe attend support services um, than men so that maybe women um, are coming forward, you know, uh, using the supports, being able to disclose uh, than men that they are kind of finding it harder to do that. Um, for you know any different reasons. Was there anything else stand out that you'd like to reference this morning from the study, Shirley? Um, I suppose one of the other things um, was around maybe kind of the work that um, we need to do in relation to you know getting a message out there to people that. Um, that you know support services are there. I suppose one of the things we heard that there was you know. Um, the response rate was that many weren't using kind of you know support services now in saying that they were they were disclosing to friends and family but just so that people do know that the supports you know which mean support services are there i mean we did see among those who use the support services that they did find them helpful so but just to get that message out there we never underestimate you know which mean kind of how hard it is um, to disclose something that has happened um, but that's why I suppose kind of a confidential service like the helpline that um, you know Dublin Rape Crisis Centre operates like the helpline all of the Rape Crisis Centres their own kind of own telephone lines you know in Carlo South Leinster Rape Crisis Centre in Kilkenny Rape Crisis Centre that they are there you know ready kind of to listen and um, to support in uh, whatever way they can so I suppose to get that message out why people weren't using the service which is something that came through on the survey that supports are there. And we will share those numbers presently. Shirley I'm interested in your opinion on how the conversation around consent has evolved and is evolving. Where do you think we're at with that? Um, and I suppose there's a, a lot of work has been done in relation to, you know, kind of consent. There's a lot of work being done in um, colleges, um, but not just there. And I know ourselves in uh, Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, you know, we recently launched a, a, a new programme um, on it's a, a long term national programme around trying to inform, to educate, to engage with all members of society about consent. Because I suppose what we really do is we need to work together to, to strengthen that understanding, you know, to learn from each other. I suppose the other piece is that it's great to see, you know, within um, the new June CERT curriculum that will start in September, you know, that consent will be part of the the SPHE, uh, the social, uh, personal and health um, education curriculum so that, you know, we're starting even within the within the schools um, to support our young people around kind of building that understanding of kind of what is consent and, you know, the values of consent and, and how important, you know, consent is.
in all our lives, including our, you know what I mean, our kind of our sexual lives. And again, coming back to the study, it would certainly suggest that I suppose the stigma around these type of of problems and shame around admitting to them, admitting to them is not the right word, but to um, disclosing them rather, that is being broken down amongst the, the younger people but still maybe not so well with the older cohort. So I suppose we it where we can. Is that the message, Shirley? It is. And it, you know, when, we're, when you have opportunities, you know what I mean, to be able to raise awareness to it, people listening to radio shows, in, you know, kind of today on your station throughout the week when it's being discussed, where we're talking about it, where we're saying, you know, to, to everybody that, you know, there is no shame and um, there is no blame attached, you know, when something like this happens, that blame, you know, belongs to those who have perpet- perpetrated the crimes. And if something has happened, you know, that there there are people, you know, obviously um, for some it's within their their friend network, their family network, and for others it may be kind of further afield within kind of, you know, support services. Okay, like your like your own. Shirley Scott, we thank you very much for your comments this morning and for sharing that information with us. I'm actually going to share, if I can, some of the helplines that might be relevant to anyone that has been affected by any of what we spoke about there. Chiline can be uh, called on free phone 1-800-666666 or text 50101 or yourselves, the Ray Prices Centre can be called on free phone 1-800-778888 and indeed if you need to access any of those numbers you can log on to the KCLR 90 fm.com website where a forward slash help where we have access to them as well. Thank you so much for your time this morning. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlow with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie Welcome back to KCLR Live. Now, many of us may have found that since the dreaded COVID, our lives changed in one way or another, but some of whom their lives changed a lot is Rosemary McCabe, journalist, podcaster and newly published author. Rosemary, good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm not too bad. Now, you're joining us from Fort Wayne, Indiana, so it's probably an unearthly hour, your side of the world. (laughs) Well, it's 6.30am, but I do have an almost two-year-old, so it's become less unearthly than I would like it to be. What time does said almost two-year-old like to rise at? Said almost two-year-old is very unpredictable and will rise at any hour between six and occasionally has been known to sleep until 10. So you just don't, you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. (laughs) Those are good days, I'd say, when he sleeps until 10. But Rosemary, he's very cute. I I follow his antics on on Instagram and and luckily he's very cute because he may need to be if there are too many of those six o'clock rises. Tell us a little bit, Rosemary, about what happened to you around 2020 or how your life changed, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, so in in 2019, actually, to go back just a little bit before the pandemic and everything, I had broken up with my boyfriend of five years. I was living in Dublin in a rented uh, house, and I was also working fully freelance for the first time in a while. Like I'd had, I'd been working for Stellar Magazine for a while, and then I'd had a few different content editing jobs. And I suppose it was the first time that I kind of was a little bit loose, like untethered. Like basically, I'd always, I'd always had a boyfriend, right? So this is the first time that I was a bit like footloose and fancy free. And my sister has been living in the States for now, I think, 13 or 14 years. And she'd always been saying to me, look, why don't you come over and do a couple of months or a year or two years to try and get a visa? And she started out, she worked in New York at first and then Dallas. 
But of course, I didn't take the leap when she was living in either of those two places. I waited. She was in the middle of the Midwest, <laughs> Fort Wayne, Indiana. And she said to me, why don't you come and try and get a visa for a year or two? And I'd seen a few different people get an O-1, which is a kind of a, well, it's called the Extraordinary Alien Visa. That's not how I describe myself to people. <laughs> but I'd seen a few people in my same industry, so in journalism and in social media, getting that visa. And I decided, sure, why don't I apply for it? But the way the timing worked out... So I was applying for it through like kind of 2019, like getting all my stuff together. It finally was granted in January of 2020 and my flight was due to leave Dublin on March 20th, 2020. But on March, I think it was about the 12th, Trump announced the travel ban mm -hmm. and Ireland wasn't at that point included yet because he had just specified the Schengen zone and Ireland wasn't, I mean, it, you know, if anybody remembers the kind of intricacies of it all, it was very messy at that point. But I pushed my, my flight up a week because I was worried that Ireland would soon be included in this ban. And actually, I was very lucky because I arrived in Fort Wayne on March 13th, 2020. And by the time my flight landed, Ireland was then on the banned list. But that was such a sliding doors moment when you look back on it, wasn't it? Why were you, OK, I'm getting on that flight. Did you not have a little bit of, gosh, what's going to happen? Maybe I should stay put. I didn't because, I don't know, at the time, I remember going for lunch with a friend of mine two or three days before that. And we were sitting, I think it was Two Boys Brew in Fibsborough. We were having brunch, actually. And the, there was a guy next to us who was telling his friend about how somebody in his office had tested positive and they'd all been told to go home, blah, blah, blah. And I remember turning to my friend and being like, should he not be at home? But like, I wasn't running away from him because I also just, I think at the time we weren't, we didn't know how serious it was going to be. No, we didn't. And when the travel ban started and all that, I mean, as I left, my dad was like, oh, it'll probably be a couple of weeks now. And I, and I, had, I had a flight booked to come back in May for a friend's wedding which then obviously ended up being postponed as well. But, like, I, I wouldn't have left if I'd known that I couldn't come back. Like, I didn't end up coming home for over two years. And but, you've only been home once, I believe, since since then, have you? I've actually been... I've I, I've been home twice. So I was okay. home um, around... Atlas's, I actually... Yeah, I, I came home in mid-22, and then I came home towards the end of 2022 as well, because basically what happened then in 2021 was I got pregnant... I had my baby in October 2021. The travel ban was lifted in November and my parents came over here for, I think, eight weeks. So then the following around, I think, April, I went home for almost three weeks for, for my first time home, which was kind of crazy, like over two years since I'd left. Uh, very, very unpredictable when you got on that plane that that would pan out as it did. Rosemary, you're... Well, you're very brave, which I'm sure many people have been saying to you in recent weeks, because I wouldn't say you've gone where no one's gone before, but very, very few people would be willing to write a book about 16 of their favourite exes, which is what you did. <laughs> well, I, I I would take issue with, with the word favourite. They definitely weren't my favourites, um, no. all of them. Yeah, well, basically, I had been, I'd been writing kind of these essays, like, I'd been writing them in my head and I'd been writing them in, in the way I was telling people stories and I'd been writing some of them down about the relationships I'd been in. And as I mentioned, I've always been a serial monogamist. So I've had a lot of relationships, whether they were short or long or, you know, in, entirely in my head in some cases. But, you know, since I was a teenager. And as I started kind of writing these down and putting them all together, I realized that they actually told a story of, if not a life, then kind of a, a portion of a life or like how I was formed through all of these relationships. And I pitched the idea to Unbound, which is a UK publisher that works kind of on a crowdfunding basis. So you pitch them your idea. If they say yes, they then put it on their site. And they basically, you try to get people to fund it to guarantee the price of publication. And then it goes from there rather than them taking a big gamble on it, which, which is what kind of traditional publishers do. And how long did that um, take, Rosemary, if you don't mind me asking? 
the, well, the, the, the pitch, I, I pitched it to them, I think I heard back within about two months, and then, so this was in the end of 2018, start of 2019, and I went over to the UK in 2019, I was visiting my aunt anyway, but they had asked me to have a meeting, and you know what I mean, in in that day, it's so funny, because if that happened now, there's no way you'd be like, oh, I'll actually be in London in three weeks, you'd just be like, yeah, we'll hop on a Zoom, yeah, but at the time, nobody did that, so mm-hmm. they were kind of like, you know, could you make it over here for a meeting, so I had a meeting with them in January of 2019, I think, or it actually could have been 2018, because this book took a long time for me to kind of exercise all the demons out of myself and, well, and life got in the, the way a little bit but I, I just I wonder what I'm getting at really is if we've any aspiring writers listening today would you recommend Unbound as a way of maybe getting published when other methods perhaps are a little bit more difficult to access you know what it's the only way that I've ever done it so I don't really have any to compare it to but I would say from any of my friends who are writers what I've heard is I'm like I didn't do this right I kind of got two, I, like I got a no from an agent, I got a no from an editor, and then I got from, from another editor said to me, look, I like the idea, but why don't you turn it into fiction? And I didn't I didn't want to do that because I kind of didn't want to turn my life story into entertainment because I felt like, I don't know, maybe I was being too self-indulgent, but I felt like that wouldn't be true to myself or that, that kind of like might trivialize some of my experiences. So basically I, I got three, two no's and a maybe, and I took that as oh my God, I'm never going to get a traditional publishing deal. So what I would say to anybody is from what I can gather, you need to get about 50 no's before you get your yes. And like 50 no's doesn't mean the idea is bad. You know what I mean? So I would say to people, I do think it's a much more straightforward route to go down the traditional publishing route. Like it's much better established. People understand what it is as well. Like I think the idea of crowdfunding a book, I think is very alien to a lot of people. So I did find it hard to get it funded like I kind of imagined because I have a big social media following I kind of imagined it would be funded in a couple of weeks and it wasn't it took I think the guts of a year to fund it okay so that was so, lengthier than you had yeah so it definitely wasn't yeah coming back to your book it's this is not about you and actually when you were first mentioning this book I thought it was going to read this is about you not which probably tells you how immature I am but anyway your <laughs> book you've 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 um, dedicated to your mom and you say to my mom who will hate this and I just loved that did she hate it I mean overall I'd say probably yes I didn't actually think she was going to read it and then she's actually visiting us in the the US at the moment so she didn't pick it up in the first week or two while she was in Ireland she was over here and I had a copy so maybe she was just being really scabby but I had a copy and she picked it up and she did actually read it um, which I wasn't sure about she I don't think she hated it overall but she did have a few issues with several kind of what she thought were gratuitously puerile and and uh, overly revealing sexual moments that I describe in the book. So I think she probably did hate it, but she still loves me. So that's what matters. Well, I don't think any parent, because you are incredibly honest in this, and it's interesting that you didn't want to turn it into fiction, because I think I would be very much, listen, a friend of mine, I wouldn't be able to wear my 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 truth on these things as bravely as you did. But you are exceptionally honest. You basically go through your entire sexual history. And I don't think any mother would be dying to read that or any daughter excited at the prospect of their mother reading it so how did you navigate that were you were you worried about that um you know what I've always been I mean some people would say an oversharer I would say honest to a fault um I I don't have any shame over anything that I have done or anything that's happened to me in my life like you know shame is something that I think keeps us down and 
if we can, I think it's important to show ourselves compassion and forgive ourselves because like there are definitely moments in the book that I wouldn't repeat now at all so but I but I don't feel ashamed of myself and I don't feel like there's anything to be ashamed of and I guess as well I was kind of thinking if I'm going to write about this the only way it'll work is if I'm honest about it because if I start fudging details here I'm going to start fudging details there and there were moments I mean there are moments in the book that make me look very bad as well as moments in the book that make particular men that I was seeing or that I had had a kind of a one night stand with look very bad so I was I was very conscious that it was important to be honest and and you really were and I think we live in a time it's not that you need to be ashamed of certain things but we do curate our own image quite a lot and social media makes that very very doable so I think your honesty stands out a little bit and if I may go to one of your exes this was something that I think a lot of people would find difficult to speak about where you were the the other woman and I imagine that was a tricky one for you to write, revisit and to put out there in the public domain. Yeah, I mean, I had actually written an essay about it a couple of years ago when I um, I used to write stuff on medium.com and I'd written a kind of a short essay about it then. So I suppose in a way I had kind of tested the waters and I knew that the reaction wasn't, I suppose, as bad as I'd feared it would be. But I suppose my my experience of that was I found it, I mean, look, it's not something that I would do now. I'm not ashamed of myself because I remember, you know, the steps that I took out there and, you know, I know why it happened. But looking back, it's not something I'm particularly proud of either. But it was a really, really icing experience for me in that I kept it a secret from everybody. I couldn't tell my friends, you know, I couldn't obviously tell my family. I couldn't talk to the usual people I would talk to about my dating life or my boyfriends or whatever was going on in my life. And I found that really, really difficult. And after it ended as well, it was the kind of thing where, you know, like a huge breakup, you get to call your friends and go, oh my God, we've broken up, I'm crying, and they take you for lunch or they come over and you watch a movie. But nobody's really commiserating with you when you're married, like the person you're having an affair with decides not to leave his wife for you. You know what I mean? Like that's not, and you know, I wouldn't necessarily have been expecting them to throw me a huge pity party, but it was still very hard for me. And I think it's the kind of thing that people don't talk about. And when there are things that we don't talk about, it means that nobody can feel like, they're not alone like we're all very isolated in our experiences and it felt like something that actually might be helpful for other people and I mean look like I'm not entirely selfless it was helpful for me to write about it and get it down on the paper and I did get a lot of private messages from people saying I've never admitted this to anyone but I've also been the other woman and I found that really moving and like really great to see that written down like I'm never going to talk about it but I'm glad you did. You mentioned there Rosemary that it was helpful to write it down would you say that about most of these exes that you're talking about in the book that going back looking at it going in on yourself a little bit a little bit of introspection that you came out the other side of all of that feeling like I like who I am I didn't do too badly in life or or how was your feeling when you came out the other side Mm, yeah I don't know that I necessarily came out of it going I'm great (laughs) Um, there were definitely some chapters that I came out of it going God I'm terrible but I kept kind of reminding myself that I'm not the same person that I was 12 or 13 or 14 years ago. But when you're remembering things, you you do have to kind of like, especially to write them down, you do have to put yourself in the situation that you were in. So in a way, it was quite disorienting to kind of spend a couple of hours in my office writing all this down and then come out and be like, oh, I'm a totally different person now. And I have a baby and I have a husband and I live in America. And, you know, to kind of remind myself that I'm not in the same place anymore. I honestly thought it would be more cathartic than it was. Okay. Um, and and writing down some of the experience, especially kind of revisiting old heartbreak or revisiting relationships that maybe were incredibly difficult from start to finish, was really difficult and was very 
kind of jarring and you know I felt a bit like Joey and friends that I wanted to put the laptop in the freezer sometimes when I kind of come come out of a writing bout and just be like oh my god I can't even look at that and the book took me I think almost five years to write because there were honestly long periods where I would write something or I'd write one chapter or even five pages and then I would go oh my god I can't even think about it or look at that like I need to get back to my real life and kind of shake that off and it would take me weeks then before I'd get back to it. And I gather, Rosemary, that you contacted at least some of these exes and asked them, would I say permission or you at least told them that you were planning on writing this? I don't, I mean, I I have a very public online profile, right? So I was very public and very, you know, outspoken about the fact that I was writing it. I didn't contact people individually to say, I'm I'm writing about you or I'm writing about us um, until it was done. And then I the exes that I'm still in touch with, I got in touch with them and I said, look, here's, I'm I'm writing this book, here's your chapter. If there's anything in it that you take massive issue to, let me know. Like, you will have a pseudonym in most cases. The only two that don't are my husband, Brandon, because it felt like stupid if people were going to be Googling my husband and going, oh my God, in the book his name was Doug and now his name is Brandon. <laughs> and then my friend Liam, who is still one of my really good friends and I talk about how we had lived together and we had, like, he produced my podcast and I felt like anybody is going to be able to figure out who that is as well. So, you know, they were the only two that got their real names. I ran it by some people, and then the ones, I mean, the majority of the men in the book did not get a preview and did not really get a heads up. But what we did was we tried really hard, myself, my publisher, and the legal team, to go through it and go, let's make sure that these men are either aren't identifiable or that there's nothing I'm saying in it that's defamatory or that's kind of, um, that's uh, impinging on their right to privacy, essentially. And one of the things you do say in it that it's all truthful, everything that ha- that you talk about happened, but you didn't quite use these words, but the gist of it was that recollections may vary. Did anybody get on to you and say, excuse me, that is not how that went down? No, not yet. But I mean, there's, there's still there's time. Still I have, time. I have the rest of my life ahead of me. How did you remember all the detail, by the way? Do you have a diary that you accessed or just an outstanding memory? No, uh, Neither of the above. I just have a really big mouth. And at the time, I think I would tell my friends all these things. So, you know, I would like go on a date or I'd go out with somebody and I'd be like, oh my God. And I'd, I'd give everyone the lowdown, you know what I mean? I think it's the kind of thing, I should have done this at my leaving. But I think it was that saying it all out loud so many times, like the stories. I did remember them. I mean, there were a few moments as well when I contacted friends of mine and went, do you remember that guy that I dated? I'm remembering that I did this, but is that is that right? And like sometimes they would say, oh no, do you remember it was actually in this other place? But by and large, I was remembering it pretty much accurately. And like I say, to my recollection, like the facts in it are correct. But my interpretation is always going to be my interpretation of, you know, when I'm going, oh, you know, he looked at me as if he hated me or something. Like, (laughs) did he or was that just what I saw? Well, you're quite entitled to your interpretation, Rosemary. Um, I just want to mention your podcast. I'm a big fan. You do it with your sister, which must be great fun. Or is it? Uh, it is great fun, but I have been threatening to release a supercut where we just put in all the times that we argue and end up editing that out. I There's nobody you can argue with like your sister. No, indeed. That would be one that we'd all be interested. It's not without my sister. And you also have a new podcast, Meet Cute. Tell us the premise of that one. Well, Meet Cute was basically born out of the book. When, like, As I was writing down all of my experiences with men and relationships and love and sex and dating, I suddenly went, I'd love to know other people's. So I decided I'd do a podcast and kind of at the moment, I'm imagining it's going to be like a limited run. I'll see I'll see where it goes. But basically where I interview people about their romantic and dating and sexual, if they're willing to tell me histories. 
and basically talk about their first love and you know their most recent love and their attitude to dating their attitude to relationships and basically I just get to be really nosy which is everyone's pleasure isn't it how did your husband yeah. that you mentioned there Brandon how did he enjoy the book I, I presume he's read it well you presume incorrectly oh, he, he has not read it he, he has read his doctor um, and he has been incredibly supportive throughout but he has also just said he doesn't have any interest in reading it um, which I mean he and I are so different there's no way that if he wrote down anything about his past relationships I wouldn't be devouring the whole thing and probably to my detriment like I'd read it and then I'd like oh no now I'm upset or now I'm worried or now I'm jealous but he I mean is very good at protecting his own his own mind so fair play to that but I was slightly yeah I was slightly offended that he didn't want you know like the idea of it you don't want to read my book but then I kind of went, hmm, you don't want to read about my, my sexual history? That probably makes sense. Well, it takes great restraint. Not to, he, he may have delved into it, Rosemary, and he just doesn't want to talk about it. Well, anyone that followed your writing in The Times or Tatler or any of the other publications that you wrote for will not be surprised to know that it reads beautifully. It's a lovely book. It's actually, I don't know how you will pronounce this one. It's a memoir. Is that what we're, what we're saying? A memoir? I mean, memoir. Yeah, that was just a bit of a joke. Like, it's a memoir about men. I just call it a memoir because I don't want to have to explain that to everyone every single time. It's, it's, it's a bit, it's, it's hard to get, it doesn't roll off the tongue so well, but it is a no, great read. No. This is not about you. Rosemary, thank you for joining us this morning. You're a brave, brave lady, as I'm sure you're hearing everywhere you go these days. And thank you for coming on to chat with us this morning. By the way, actually, before I let you go, I just want to ask you this. Is life incredibly different in Indiana um, it's less different than you think. It's very green here. People are very friendly. Um, like it's quite a kind of a small town vibe. So it actually reminds me of Ireland a lot. And actually, I don't think I would have been as happy moving to New York or Dallas as I am here because it feels a lot more familiar. Isn't but, you know, green America has a lot of. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Indiana is a real kind of um, farmland. So there's just like fields and there's a lot of corn and it, like, it's very, very green in the summer. But one thing I find really weird is that it's really, really flat. So you just never see a mountain like you never you look to the horizon and you just see the next field. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't see very far because it's all incredibly flat, which is really weird. Yes, it must be. Well, listen, next time you're home, come to Carlo and Kelly. We've lovely mountains here that you can enjoy. We really enjoyed the chat this morning, Rosemary. Thanks a million. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Gemma Kennedy, don't forget me singing us out of the show today. Don't forget that you can access any of the helplines that you need on our website, kclr96fm.com. A few comments coming in. Somebody came in there with a, I suppose, a moan about their NCT. The next date is the 3rd of February 2024 in Kilkenny. Actually, a bit of a tip there. If you go on to a waiting list for an emergency when you will get an appointment quicker, because that happened to me recently, and I went on to a waiting list and I did get one much, much sooner the car didn't pass but that's another story a few textures in as well Uh, the HSC top heavy with pen pushers draining money much needed for services for elderly that comes in from Anne and nobody else saying the department always go after the person who is trying to make ends meet but we have seen it all before the big fraudsters like the people in government a TD who said he didn't have a bank account for example I wonder who that could be thank you so much for your company this morning thanks to the lovely Tara who's been here helping me out and we look forward to chatting to, to you tomorrow KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie.